Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Ophthalmologist Dr. Strauss has seen firsthand how the metaverse is helping surgeons practice the procedures to treat cataracts. Cataracts are the primary cause of avoidable blindness. He works with a virtual reality training platform developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International to help surgeons develop the muscle memory they need. The result? More confident, capable surgeons. And even more importantly... Patients who can see. Explore more stories like Dr. Strauss's at meta.com slash metaverseimpact. Hello, Freckled Foodie fam. I am so excited to share today's episode with my OBGYN, Dr. Narissa Gubala. We chat about why she became an OBGYN, my delivery experience, general postpartum care, and answer a bunch of your questions. As you'll see in this episode, she is truly amazing. I am so fortunate to have her as my doctor over the past four years, as she is an example of the incredible care New York Presbyterian offers. This episode is in partnership with New York Presbyterian and their mission to help us all stay amazing. As I mentioned in this episode, I have been a New York Presbyterian patient since the day I entered this world all the way up until today. I have gone there for my general care, my post-accident care, my neurology appointments, my gynecology appointments, and most importantly, Liam's delivery. I'd like to say that I am the prime example of how New York Presbyterian is there from the everyday to the extraordinary. 2022 is all about staying amazing through our mind, body, and soul, and New York Presbyterian is there to help us with that. So without further ado, let's get into the interview with Dr. Gubala. Come on in, take a seat, pour a drink, pass one to me. Frickle food, we have friends, talking about life's odds and ends. Throw away your hesitations, have unfiltered conversations. If you've got an ear to lend, here's Frickle Food, and friends. Dr. Gabal, I am so excited to have you on here, and my community is also pumped because they know you from the, not infamous, <laughs> but like the video I posted of you telling us the sex of our baby on my oh. like house phone on speaker. And you're like, I've been waiting for you to call me back. And I was like, we okay, lady. It was like a Saturday morning. I'm like, what the heck, man? Where are you? It Don't was, you want to know what you're having? This is what it was. It was at night, but it was you had oh, called me night. and I was at my parents' house and I don't get cell service there. So you emailed me being like, I tried calling you and <laughs> like call me back, but I didn't have your cell phone number at the time. So I was like, how do I call you back? Yeah. And then <laughs> I tried calling the office, but of course you guys weren't there and it was right around oh. when it, we were waiting for the election results. So I was pacing in oh, my kitchen, right. like what is <laughs> happening in this world? And then also what is the sex of this baby? So I posted the video. I Joe think and I. your information is, was actually more important, but. <laughs> yes, <laughs> but I posted the video of Joe and I like on the phone with you finding out and everyone was DMing me like, you seem to really get along with your OP. Like, who is she? So here she is, the infamous. Here I am. in full glory <laughs> for good or for bad. Here I am. <laughs> 
So I'm super excited to chat with you as I've been seeing you for, I want to say four-ish years, maybe. Um, Well before we started trying to get pregnant. Yes. Yes. And I have absolutely loved your care and (laughs) I am so honored and blessed to have been able to give birth in the new New York Presbyterian Alexandra Cohen Hospital because that thing is beautiful. Pretty nice, right? Is it not nice? Like I would move in there and I don't think most people say that. (laughs) It's, it's pretty, you know, it's all private rooms from beginning to end. Like you don't even know that another patient is on the floor, no less if it's full or what have you. Right. You go in, it's a beautiful lobby. You're whisked upstairs. There's like no one there. Then you're whisked into a, like the triage area. Again, no one in your own private pod. Right. And then again, whisked into like the labor room and everyone's just there, like right outside your room, ready to like to, you know, take care of you and your baby. It was And then gorgeous. again, upstairs, right? You go upstairs, beautiful elevator, your own private room. To me, it looks like a hotel. It, you know, it literally you order, does. Am I not right? You get to order food. You guys have great avocado toast, by the way. Oh, I never had that because I was on the like 24 hour diet of clear liquids when I was going insane. But then oh, I'm like, I know, but I'm glad I, I did it because then I was throwing up during that transition phase. And like, had I been throwing up solid food rather than just like bile, that would have been probably more disgusting. I me. did warn you that right. you should you did. have something that you don't mind tasting later on. Yes. So I ate like maybe 10 of those lemon ice pops that they had there. Anyway, wonderful hospital, wonderful practice, wonderful doctor. Thank so you. thank you. Okay. How, of course, how did you originally become interested in what is the actual term for OB? What is OB, OB? obstetrics and gynecology? Thank you. I OB knew gynecology, yeah. but I didn't know obstetrics. Yeah. How did you originally become interested in this field? Like what were, what made you decide like, I want to get involved with ladies' right. vaginas all day. <laughs> oh my god! So, so originally, when I went to med school, right, I actually thought I was going to be a pediatrician. You know, like um, it was great taking care of little babies and families, and you know, provide that sort of care. But then, when I was a medical student, I took part in this teenage for pregnancy program, my first year of med school. It was for it was um, a program serving underprivileged young women at Inwood House, which is like up you know in the Bronx. And basically, um, these young women were teenage moms. They were living in a house um, full of other teenage moms, and we got to help them through labor because they didn't have anyone. You know, they just had their their um, their social worker with them at the you know in labor at the bedside, and then no one else. They were maybe they had the the um, their partner, but often they were there by themselves. So uh, we were there able to provide them support, and then we helped them get through the labor, right? And then that was it. But for me, seeing that first delivery, you know, seeing that baby come out, like where the obstetrician's hands were so powerful, like so she. She was so knowledgeable about what she was doing and just so um, in charge. Like there was nothing like that. It's quite, quite an adrenaline rush. And yeah, see, I'd say so. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a huge adrenaline rush. She just knew she was in charge of the room. Um, that's what got me hooked. That's what got me hooked. And I knew that, I knew that 
um, I knew that for me, women's health is really important. You know, as a woman, I know what it feels like having all sorts of issues. I just wanted to be there and be able to have that rapport with someone else. And, you know, it's a very sensitive topic, right? Like GYN care, you know, contraception, trying, you know, discharge, bleeding, I and mean, who else are you going to go to? Um, and then pregnancy itself, it was such a mix of um, routine problems in pregnancy, but also when things get get complicated, it can get complicated fast. And yeah. it was just such a mix of different things, like different extreme problems at New York Presbyterian, that it was really something that I enjoyed uh, seeing and taking uh, part of. You know, and extreme cases come through our hospital, you know, twins, triplets, cardiac cases, um, you know, diabetes, weird stuff comes through. And so I, I really got fascinated by it. And how long have you been in the OBGYN field now? Yeah, yeah. So basically, when I graduated in 1999, I went to residency, OBGYN is four years, right? And then I've been in private practice for another 18 so wow. it seems it's a long time, but it, it just seems like yesterday that, you know, it was my first day. And so it's been good. You might not know this. I'd actually kind of be shocked if you do know this, but do you know how many babies you've delivered? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, I was prolific, so to speak, in my residency. I was like all over the place. I was following my attending <laughs> around like, okay, I'm here to help you. And, um, and. I think probably we're talking like in the thousand range, but don't quote me that, that I don't know, but many, many. Um, I mean, you, it must be many just given off of how many people I know that see you and how busy (laughs) you are. Like there's no way it's not many. Oh, it doesn't seem that many, but, um, I, I love it. Still love it. I'm so happy. You still love it. And it's very clear, which is one of the reasons I love you so much is that you are someone who's just always so, happy to be doing your job, which is not the case for many, especially in the medical field. And and all that being said, I was your patient during my pregnancy and delivery during a very hard time for the medical field. So having such positive energy throughout, like being pregnant and giving birth in a pandemic was really helpful for me. Also, I mean, there's just a different vibe in the delivery room when you're friends with your doctor and they bring a positive energy because I said that to you. I was like, I want our delivery to be a party. <laughs> like we were listening it to good music. We were listening to Beyonce. Okay, my dear. <laughs> Lemonade. Do you remember? Yes. Lemonade. You were dancing. Okay. I know. It was dancing. a party. No, it was a straight up party. <laughs> I kid you not, listeners. All right. Your your host has some moves. Right. We're listening to Beyonce. I couldn't believe I'm like, oh, my God, this is different. (laughs) Yeah. But like, again, that also, yes, like I wanted to set that tone. But I always say that the birthing person sets a tone. But I also think the second person very high close to that first person setting the tone is the doctor. Because if you were like stiff, only medical, like not personable, (laughs) I would have felt uncomfortable doing that. But I felt right at home. I do have some questions from my community that I want to like sprinkle throughout our conversation because I think that they all lead on to other topics as well. For people, similarly, we just mentioned like my delivery experience. I was very open with my community about having a doula as well as an OBGYN. I loved Ebony. She also is a previous podcast guest. Someone asked, What do you think of doulas? Because I know that like, 
for me, I'll say first, like it was very important that I asked you first, are you comfortable with having a doula right. in the room? Right. Right. And then I wanted a doula that was very supportive of me and was willing to speak up for me, but also realized that like you were the main person calling the shots. So like, what is your right. relationship or opinion with the concept of having doulas in the delivery room? So I know, I know that it's like a team effort from everyone involved, right? In, in terms of a delivery. I like to say that this is what I think about doulas. I know that doulas are there to provide the patient support. So support in terms of emotional support leading up to the delivery, support emotionally and perhaps by giving massage, setting the tone, helping mm-hmm. distract you and keeping like a calm Zen environment during the actual labor, which can take as little as, you know, a couple of hours to as long as 12, 18 hours, two days, whatever it, whatever right. <laughs> it is during the labor. And they're there for you for that support um, early during the actual hospital labor course and immediately postpartum and even at home, right? But I like to equate it like um, a football game. Like the Super Bowl is coming up, right? So what I like to equate it as you're the star quarterback, right? You're that, thank you, you know, star <laughs> quarterback. And we're training for game day. It's game day. You're having contractions. You're there. I'm the guy with the headset, like literally I'm wearing a headset, you know. um, Right. You're the the head coach. The the head coach, you know, and I'm barking orders kind of at you, kind of at everyone else to like make sure that we're doing everything right for you. And then the doula, the doula is the person with the Gatorade, you know, squirting Gatorade um, through through your helmet into your mouth, you know, patting you down. Patting you down, making sure you have what you need, making putting on like, you know, the hoodie, whatever it is that you need um, to get you through. And then we're we're all there to support you. But what I want to make sure and what we talked about, if you remember, is that the doula is there just to offer emotional support, not to offer you medical advice. And Mm -hmm. that's where we come in. Yeah. And that was something I worked on with Ebony prior to the delivery of like. And and fortunately, that's why I went with Ebony because she was very much like, I'm here to support you. Dr. Gubala right. is here to make the medical decisions. We can talk about it. And she your, was great. I she's remember. amazing. Love her. Yeah, 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 yeah. We were, we were, we had a good time. Yes. And she was part of our dance party. Um, <laughs> and similarly, she, you know, we talked about our birthing preferences beforehand so that I could yes. be like a little bit more educated on those things. And then when it came to the time to be in the hospital, you and I talked about them, like yeah. whether it be epidural or even like post-care with like the first bath and the vernix and the shot, like all of that right. stuff. So right. I found it incredibly helpful. But again, I think it's very important that there is a positive relationship between all three people involved. Right. Um, I do want to dive in a little bit to like the conception period before we get into the birth and delivery, because- sure. You know, you obviously know my conception history story and my community also knows. So I did not go through a period of like trying to conceive, but I know that a lot of my community is either going through that or plans to go through that at some point. So someone asks, and I don't mean this in a home test way, but are there tests that like we should be asking our doctors for before we start trying to conceive? Because I know we did a blood panel. Right. 
Right. Yeah. So I actually really like to have patients come in to see before what I call a preconceptual visit. So they'll come in and we'll sit down and we want to go over things. We want to go over your medical history. I want to go over your menstrual history. Are you ovulating, not ovulating? Your periods like six weeks, eight weeks apart where I don't think you're ovulating your own or are they pretty normal? And I think you're ovulating day number 14. I want to go over medical history. You know, do you have thyroid issues, diabetes? Are there other um, issues that maybe you don't even know about that I have to, I could pick up on and I have to intervene for or kind of um, make different changes about? Um, go over your medical history. Uh, go over medications. See if you're taking some medications like Retin A. Are you in Retin A? You're Accutane. You can't get pregnant on that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, like I and went off I'm my amitriptyline. Right, exactly, and then. Family history. I want to know about your mom's history, your grandma's history. You know, is there, are there women in your family who had like miscarriages that you don't even know about? Um, and those are things that we can pick up on and figure out, hmm, you know, maybe she needs to see a specialist. Maybe to do like a thrombophilia panel, something, some sort of blood test that I have to figure out, you know, this is going to be a problem or, or go over uh, family history of Down syndrome or mental delay, developmental issues, congenital malformations. Things like that, that I can look for early in pregnancy or maybe intervene um, on your behalf for, you know, and then different lab tests we're going to want to do. We're going to want to check your immune status against chickenpox, measles, German measles, um, check to make sure you're not anemic, check your blood type, um, know if you're, if you have a thyroid issue and then perform genetic carrier screening tests. There are mutations that we can look for uh, to see if you're a carrier. And if you are, we want to see if your partner's a carrier to see what the chances of the baby inheriting one copy from you, one copy from your husband, and see what sort of risk there is in terms of developing disease. And just for people to take home this information in like the most useful way, the one that Uh we did is called SEMA4, correct? S-E-M-A-4. And these mutations really vary. uh, They create all sorts of new panels year to year. Yeah, I think yeah. Joe had two, but I wasn't carrying any, so we weren't concerned. Right, so you didn't overlap, so right. we were good from that standpoint. And then from the blood panel standpoint, and I know that we're not giving like generic medical advice at all, but just right. for people to have maybe information in their back pocket during their next visit, is there like a name for this generic type of blood panel we're doing? Because yeah. like I know we tested my AMH. Is that like part right. of something? Well, I think that, okay, so basically you're just going to want to talk to your doctor and you're going to want to say, listen, I'm ready to become pregnant. Are the preconceptual labs that we're going to walk, that uh, your doc is going to want to check and the genetic carrier screening test. Okay. Those are the things that they're going to check. And then maybe an AMH, which is to look for ovarian reserve. Yes. Okay. Got it. And I will say like, Obviously, speaking from my experience, the AMH level does not always tell the full story. That's right. Exactly. That's right. It bar- it can vary. But I, obviously, it's worth getting these things checked out. Um, and then are there things that people should be doing before trying to conceive from like a health standpoint? Like, is there anything that they should try to focus on more or less? So... We want to avoid exposures to toxins, medications, uh, activity that could pose risk. So reduce alcohol intake, reduce recreational drug use, don't stop smoking, um, things like that. 
Um, maybe your diet might be an issue. Like if you're uh, like most of New Yorkers who eat sushi every single day, we may want to check your mercury level and make right, sure which that is that something level, we did. Right, exactly. Yeah, we did. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, reduce that level and make sure that's not going to be a problem. Um, and uh, and then we're going to want to make sure that we did all those tests. We're going to want to make sure that, you know, this is a good time for you, that you're not overly stressed and that, you know, work is going to be okay. We want to make sure that everything's in place to dive into a pregnancy. And then again, for pre-pregnancy questions, I think a lot of my community, based on the questions I received, is kind of fearful of becoming pregnant. And maybe that's because I've shared the entire truth of it. So they've just seen what it's really like. Well, I had, no, I had a very healthy, I had a healthy pregnancy on paper, a hundred percent, but I just felt like shit all the time, like sick wise. And my anxiety was pretty bad. But do you have any advice as a doctor, but also someone who's given birth on overcoming the fear of pregnancy? Pregnancy is it's a big deal. It's a process. It's your body's going to, body's going to change or all sorts of things that are going to be happening to your body. Just know that we are here for you. You know, you're going to, it's a team effort. You're going to go to a great doctor. You're going to get the care that you're, that you're going to need. You're going to get great medical care, but you might need more. You might need someone to uh, kind of pick up on the fact that, listen, I'm asking all these questions. I'm a little bit jittery. I, I'm kind of not sure what what to do. I'm not sure if all these changes are right. I'm not sure if I'm feeling okay. Those are times that you just need to reach out and say, you know, I, I might be having a hard time. I, I don't think I'm handling this right. I don't think I'm feeling so good about it. And that's when your doc's going to want to say, okay, what's going on? Are you having depression? Are you having anxiety? What is it? What's going on? And then we're going to get you through it, talk, talk to you about it. And maybe you like get another person involved, maybe a therapist, maybe a psychiatrist to get you through it. And we can, and we did. did. Yes, we did. (laughs) You know, I think the fear of pregnancy, I obviously understand it because your body changes so much. There's so much going on and like it obviously is anxiety inducing, but something that I kept telling myself when I was both pregnant and leading up to delivery was like, if it was that horrendous, this popular, like our population would be over. Like people wouldn't keep doing it, you know, like, which is why I say there's a pregnancy amnesia. You know, I mean, like, I don't remember, I can't, I think most women don't remember, oh my God, I gained 25 pounds. My skin got all modeled. I had melasma, that line in the middle of my belly. Oh my God, these didn't come off until I started using a loofah sponge for like it's six or eight weeks. You know what I mean? And like, I was waddling. I couldn't see my toes. Like yeah. my husband had to like, you know, tie my shoelaces, all that sort of stuff. But, and then you still have pictures and you still have this beautiful baby, which is like, the grand prize of it all, right? The grand prize, but you do forget. And, and I, I just think like that, that was my big thing with delivery. I was like, we have been doing this since day one. And now we have all of this medical assistance and medication and knowledge and technology. Like if we did it in the medieval times, like I can get through this. Obviously there are like extreme circumstances, but that was just like reassuring for me when it came to the fear of everything. 
what I tell women is, you know, we, we've been doing it since the beginning of mankind. We did it out in the fields. We did it in the 1800s. Um, now we have so much more support and people are talking about it like you, right. you know, um, that it makes it a little bit more real and just know that um, we can die, you know, we can do it. We can do it together. You just need to reach out. I agree. When it comes to pregnancy, someone asked a pretty specific question and I actually have no knowledge of this. So now I'm curious as well. Can you walk us through what a chemical pregnancy is? Because one of our Freckles Beauty family members is currently going through one and she said she doesn't think enough women know about them. And I honestly have no idea what it is. So I'm one of them. Okay. So what happens is the ovum gets fertilized by the sperm, right? We fertilize. And then we fertilize the fallopian tube, then about six days later, it implants in the uterus, okay? And it's all pretty microscopic at this point. You're not going to see it. When it implants, um, it's going to grow and divide. And, and it can grow and divide, but then it stops. So the time period after implantation, when the pregnancy grows, and then it stops growing before you can see anything on ultrasounds, right? You come in at six weeks, you see something on ultrasound or five weeks, you see something on ultrasound. That time period when it stops growing, that's what we call biochemical pregnancy. So it formed, it implanted, but it stopped growing before five weeks. You will never see anything on ultrasound. But you'll test positive? You'll still test positive because it's releasing hormone, but then it stops. It doesn't grow. When you say like divide, what do you, what is it dividing? So it divides itself, you know, <laughs> one cell and then the cell starts dividing and dividing and dividing and dividing, dividing forms a little, you know, mass and okay. it grows potentially into an embryo and then it grows into a fetus. Okay. So in a nutshell, biotin pregnancy is a pregnancy loss that occurs soon after implantation before you see the pregnancy of parent on ultrasound. And do you miscarry if you have a chemical pregnancy? Like, is it passing or is it stalled? You wouldn't even know that you were pregnant. Like, you would just end up having, like, a period flow. So that's, bad chemical pregnancy is about, like, five weeks, four weeks, five weeks, that sort of thing. So you eventually just have a period now. You're no longer testing positive. That's right. That's right. Okay. Speaking on the topic of miscarrying, um, do you have any advice for people out there on how to properly advocate advocate for themselves for care post miscarriage? Because I can't speak from experience again, but I have had friends and members of my community who have messaged me that they felt like they miscarried, and then it was kind of like, okay, bye, like good luck, yeah. and there was no real post follow up care or like support right. or or honestly like next steps on what to do. So do you have have advice on how to advocate for yourself in that period of time? Yeah. It's hard, right? It's hard because when we're trying to get pregnant, it's everything. We just want that pregnancy so bad, like we're so focused on getting on being pregnant. You know, when you get that positive pregnancy test, all your dreams, all your hopes, everything is in that one test. You see the positive plus sign and you're, you just want to see that baby Mm -hmm. tomorrow. So when we docs have to deliver that bad news, it's tough. I I know it's going to be just heartbreaking. I have to talk to you on the phone if this, if I have to call you and say, you know what, Uh, the hormone level just didn't go up the way we want it. Or we were doing the ultrasound and 
and we're and I'm looking for the sack and you know it was there two weeks ago and then all of a sudden there's nothing there it just the the air is still you know I I I know what's going to come next and I know that woman's heart is just breaking and I know it's just sucks it's just so bad um so we'll get you through the miscarriage no matter how we do it we're going to get you through it we're going to do whatever procedure, give you medication, just wait for your body to finish the pregnancy. After that, what I tell women is, you know, you're not alone. Um, and you know that it's not anything you did. It's not, not taking a medication. It's not the medication you took accidentally. It's not having that spicy tuna roll. It's not doing that crazy boot camp class. It's not anything you did or failed to do. It's just, it just happens. Um, And when you are ready, whenever that is, um, you call. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about if you're emotionally ready, mentally ready to try again. Some of my patients are ready to try again. They can't try soon enough. I tell them, just wait until your next period. And then there's no need to wait. You You can start immediately. You can try again immediately. And then some women just need some time to regroup, retreat, you know, put themselves back together. Mm-hmm. But I think the most important thing is we are your advocate. Like your dog is your advocate. We, you just need to let us know. Let us know when you're ready. Yeah. I think, we'll be there. I think fortunately you're an incredible doctor and you're, you are there. I don't think all doctors are as amazing as you for being honest. Um, mm-hmm. Just in, when we look at it from a country standpoint, I'm not talking about like yeah. within the city or, you know, wherever. I yeah. do think that advocacy is so important in general in the medical field, but it's really hard when you're emotionally and mentally drained. So I almost like, I don't know if this is correct in recommending, but like, maybe trying to bring on your partner if you have one to like really try and be more of your advocate as they're not like meant, they're not physically going through the hormonal shift and like specific emotions that you're experiencing. So I would try and bring your partner to your appointments or have them call in so that they can make sure that they're aware of like what's happening and what next steps are. Because I know for me, like I actually did this with my mom for a few appointments, not pregnancy related or anything, but other stuff. Like when you're in something so deep and emotional and it's medical, for me, I felt like I would leave the appointments. And I'm like, I don't even know what that doctor said. Like I wasn't really fully there. I I couldn't keep track. Like I'm so drained and like frustrated and upset. And I'm not myself. Like I felt this way after my accident. And my mom would come to my neurology appointments to sit in and listen and ask questions that maybe I wouldn't think of or take notes. So like maybe having your partner be more hyper involved. I think that's a great point. I never really thought of it that way. I think that, you know, taking notes and, and having, hmm, having your, having someone else there just to kind of remind you or to speak up for you. Yes. um, And absorb the information. At the time when we're trying to tell, just give you the facts. yeah, it's tough. I think that sometimes we might forget. We might forget how difficult it is to be on the receiving end of bad news. Well, I also think not that you are at all desensitized to the situation, but you are experiencing it as doctors more than that person is. Like, hopefully, yeah. this person isn't as experiencing as many miscarriages as a doctor is. Um, so, at at some point, there is a difference because it's more emotional for the patient. I mean, just 
that's a matter of fact. It's more emotional and less medical. That being said, this is not a, this is a me question, but what is the hardest part of your job? Do you think? So giving bad news, it's a miscarriage or you know what? There's something wrong with that neck fold. You know, the nickel translucency wasn't right. Mm-hmm. Something's wrong with that. Or, um, you know, the, the NIPT member that cell-free DNA test, you know, there, there's an extra chromosome or, you know, the baby's not growing. We have to intervene or something like that. That's, that's hard for me. So trying to distinguish like that barrier between my emotion and giving you the proper medical advice um, objectively, that for me is the hardest part. I'm sure. It really I is mean, it's hard. I I can't imagine because I mean, and I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I've ever been able to do that. You know, my heart bleeds every time I not bleeds, but you know, I feel it. I feel that. I feel the pain. And that's yeah. hard. That's hard to let, let that go. I, given that a, you are a very personal person who connects with people. You, you feel an emotional connection to your patients. B, you're a mother. So you've experienced it. So you right. understand and C, it's just, it fucking sucks. Like it's not fun to give anyone bad news, let alone news like that. Um, now I'm curious for some postpartum care, which I have so many thoughts on postpartum, Dr. Gubala. So (laughs) first someone asked, like, how long do you actually think it takes a body to recover from a birth or does it ever (laughs) recover? (laughs) It's, it's different for every woman. That's the deal. Like. There are some, so what I was supposed to tell you, what I know is that the uterus takes 40 weeks for, to get from the size of a fist to the size of like a medium watermelon, right? Or maybe a big watermelon. Yeah. And so it's going to take time for that watermelon to resorb into the size of the fist and for your body to deflate and for the bones to get back together, for the joints to get back together and everything kind of to get back to normal. Quote unquote. <laughs> right. Now, there are a lot of changes in pregnancy. So it just needs time for that to happen. Now, I know that the uterus, right, takes about 12 weeks to get from that size to the size of a fist. It may take longer for the pelvic floor to get back to a normal state. Now, the pelvic floor is like, imagine a bowl and um, you're putting a lot of pressure as that watermelon grows down on that floor. And then all of a sudden it's gone. So we need time for that floor to kind of spring back, get back to normal, strengthen up. We might need to help it a little bit, strengthen it, strengthen that pelvic floor, do some kegels, um, do other exercises, maybe see a physical therapist for pelvic floor therapy and get back that, get that back to normal. Um, the other parts of your body, you know, the part that jiggles a little bit, um, <laughs> I'm motioning to myself. Um, that might, that may take more time, but for the most part, with good exercise, you know, good nutrition, hopefully your body will get back to normal in the next three months, six months. You know, that fourth trimester can be as long as a full year after you deliver. Mm-hmm. I will say and the emotional support, the yeah. emotional part also. Don't forget that part. I mean, that takes a long time. A woman's life is all about transition. Like we're this pubescent adolescent girl and then we turn into a woman and then we're a sexual being and then we're become like, you know, we transform into a mother making this little human being in our body. And then we deliver 
And then all of a sudden, this this little thing is dependent upon us. You know, it's it's a lot. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot. So and it takes a lot of time, and to get used to that new role, eh, it's hard. I don't know. I mean, I will say I'm eight months out now. Physically, I now feel more like myself. I think my body has changed in certain ways that like it probably ever, it won't go back to pre-pregnancy and I'm okay with that. But I think emotionally is honestly what I've struggled with the most Mm -hmm. of just Mm -hmm. the mental shift that like I am now responsible for someone for the rest of my life. And I mean, I talk about this in my platform all the time, realizing that I was a selfish person with my time and I now am not really able to be. And it's just this new person that is now the priority. And it's really confusing to get used to. And I do think that you transform as a human post-delivery. Like, I think you are a different person. I wholeheartedly believe that. I agree. Well, what's important for me to tell women, because I think that um, being a mother is a lifelong thing, right? And it's a huge change that it is important to take care of yourself. It is a, you are a human being. You cannot neglect you. I know. It's like being on a plane. You have to put your (laughs) mask on first. Exactly. You put your mask on first. Then you put the mask on the little thing. I agree. I know. I say this all the time. You have to fill your cup. I said, like, I want Liam's cup to be overflowing and I can't fill it from an empty cup. Because they feel it. I'm telling you, they're going to feel it. If you are unhappy, if you're depressed, you're anxious, they might, they may not feel it, but you know, you're going to look back and you're going to see pictures of yourself. Like, why am I not smiling? Like what happened there? How come I don't remember this? That sort of thing. Yeah. I think that emotionally for me, months three and four were the hardest because I think in the beginning I was like, Oh my gosh, we have a baby. And like, we, it was just so focused. It was just me, Joe and Liam in the apartment. We didn't have any help and it was survival mode. So it was just also COVID. I mean, you deliver in. Yes, that's right. But I was okay. In the very beginning, it was such survival mode. I was like, okay, I just have to, I have to try to sleep. He has to eat. He has to sleep. We have to feed ourselves. And then we do it again the next day. And it was like this continuation that I, I hadn't fully kind of accepted or acknowledged everything else that happened, but I was okay. I was happy. I was doing it. And then when I started to kind of re-enter my life outside of Liam, that's when Mm -hmm. around month three and four, I was like, wait a second, I feel different. And like, I struggled more then. Obviously I've been working with Dr. Ho, who you recommended. I love her. I've been making it a priority. And I think that I've been in a much better place and I am very happy, but that also doesn't mean that it's not hard. It's this like, it's, it's two conflicting emotions. It's a biggest transition that I think happens in a woman's life. Yeah. Um, And, and I think that it's important for all of us to like, to look after her and to, you know, see it, which is why I usually like to see you and you can see in your eyes. Remember I said that? Yes. Like I can see in your eyes. I said that to you. I can see in your eyes, you know, usually they come into my office and if everything's great, like everyone's like happy and you're showing pictures. If it's not, you look in my eyes and all of a sudden, ah, you know, like, yeah. And I'm like, okay, all right, what's happening. So that's what we can hopefully like pick you up. Yes. And so I actually have a question on that because people had some questions about postpartum care and I have a lot of opinions on postpartum care. Um, 
So we go from seeing our doctors like every two weeks and then every week leading up to the delivery, which I obviously understand. And then we give birth. And then the baby goes to the doctor almost like what? I think it's like the first few days, then it's the second week, then like the two weeks after that. So like we're doing a lot of visits for this baby. Again, totally understand. But it feels like, and not you, but from a society standpoint of maternal care, the woman is just kind of forgotten about or the birthing person is just like, okay, you had the baby, way to go, have fun. And, you know, we did a virtual call three, two weeks out, three weeks out, yeah. which like obviously would have been in person, yeah. but COVID. And that was when you you looked in my eyes. I was great. I was happy. I was showing you photos of Liam. And then I come in for my six week appointment. We do a check of my vagina. Everything looks good. But like I do, again, this is not against you. This is just general maternal care. Like, why is it? Why are we only getting that one appointment? Don't you think there should be more focus on like, because we just talked about how long it takes the female body like what, what is the methodology behind that from a medical standpoint? Like, why aren't we focusing more on the postpartum care? Two weeks out, we want to see you just, just catch postpartum depression or like see like mastitis, bleeding. But again, I don't think all pain. doctors do that, Dr. Kabala. I don't think that that is as common. Like, yes, you were there for me. I was texting you when I had mastitis, like you were there right. for me, but I don't think that is standard because I can speak from my sister who doesn't go to a private practice where I, you know, she was struggling with something and I'm like, I don't know. I just texted my doctor. She's like, what the fuck are you talking about? That's not normal, which I I agree. Uh, Our relationship is not normal, but like, so yeah, well, we should see you at two weeks. We should see you at six weeks. That's like the routine. It was just something that was taught to us because that's when the body should have gone small. The uterus should have gone small enough. The bleeding's all kind of Mm -hmm. taken care of. And then we're looking at your pelvic floor, looking at the way things healed, you know, the, the laceration, et cetera, or the incision if you had a C-section. Yeah. And then usually we just want to get the body back to a normal state, right? Which is hopefully at the six-month mark. I guess that from our standpoint, we, we just um, expect the body. It takes time for the body to get back to normal, which yeah. should be at six months. But it, I agree. It's a withdrawal. It's it's not uh, something that you would like to, you know, you, maybe you'd like to see us sooner, but we're always there. No, we're I know you are. You. I know you are. I mean, docs are always there. I mean, not just me. We should be there. Like, I realized that as a patient, we, first of all, this also reminds me that I am way overdue for my six month appointment. So I will call your <laughs> office after this and schedule that. I got um, it. Got it. Yeah. But I think that as patients, yes, we could always call and be like, hey, something's up. Can I come in? I do think that though, maybe the medical practice in general, all of OB should implement maybe another just like mandated appointment so that it's not reliant on the person who's like drowning, trying to keep their head above water to recognize maybe something's wrong. Yeah, I think that's something for us to consider. Thank you so much for taking my opinions. Yeah, of course. Speaking of (laughs) pelvic floor, someone asked, what are some signs of pelvic floor issues post-vaginal delivery? Because remember I came in and I was like, I'm convinced I have, what's it called? Prolapse. Prolapse. Like I was convinced because I took a mirror to look inside my vagina and I was like, this is not what it looks like. And then I realized that like, I actually didn't have anything to compare it to. I wasn't regularly (laughs) like taking a mirror to my vag, but- (laughs) 
what are some signs of pelvic floor issues? Yes. So, um, again, the pelvic floor is like a bowl of muscle. Okay. It's like a sling. You can imagine like, you know, those grocery bags, you know, those, those <laughs> grocery bags that are kind of like nets. Yes. <laughs> I just made this up. Such a that great like visual. <laughs> like you can put, you know, a watermelon in there, a grapefruit, and it's going to sag, right? Yeah. And then you remove it and it should bounce back to normal. Things that you're going to notice is you might feel like when you're, when you're um, exercising or doing jumping jacks. Or when you sneeze or cough or laugh, you might feel a little like dribble. It might be like little, you know, one to two droplets, or it could be like a whole tablespoon or, you know, oh, I can't really hold that pee in. That's the problem. Yeah. <laughs> That's a problem. And you're going to go see your doc. Or you're walking around and you're doing jumping checks and you feel like a bulge. That could be a problem too. Or That's what I kind like- of felt. But yeah. I think that that's also just me. Like there's a degree of feeling it. I think, I think that's true. And yeah. so what I tell women is, okay, let's do an exam. Let's see how much, if it is at all, or it just might be normal. Um, Cause you know, in the first 12 weeks, this three, three months, three months to six months, your body's just getting back to normal again. So we want to reinforce it. We want to do some Kegel exercises where you squeeze the pelvic floor, you squeeze the vagina as if you're stopping the stream of urine you know, for like five seconds, one, two, three, four, five. Okay. They let go. They do it again. Let go. Okay. So you want to do that rounds of 10. Doing them right now. (laughs) Me too. (laughs) Five to 10 times a day. All right. So I just did it again. So, you know, five (laughs) to 10 times a day. And then, or, you know, they have things that you can buy online. Like you put the LV trainer and then you'll give you good feedback or other things, you know, just for you to identify that muscle. And sometimes for the most part that works. If it doesn't work, then you're going to see your doc. We might send you to a pelvic floor therapist. We might send you to your gynecologist. There are so many different things that we can do. I also would say that like I, I'll link in the show notes, um, three specific fitness instructors who I personally love and helped me a lot through the postpartum period where like pre my, I waited, I think until like eight to nine weeks to do any form of movement other than walking like small walks. But I also think that like, did in I the tell you to do that? Because no, you, you, you that long. Okay. no, you cleared me. I just like, okay. wasn't in the mood. Um, okay. but I think that breath work is something that I wish I had started earlier, which like I'm assuming is fine, but I like yeah. pelvic floor breath work. I wish I had started that like very shortly after delivering. Cause I did all these pelvic floor exercises like while I was pregnant and I was doing Pilates and I did see a pelvic floor PT just to like prep for delivery. But I feel like then after I gave birth, I just completely forgot about it until week like seven or eight. And I wish I had focused on the breath work a little bit earlier. So I'll put some of them in the show notes for people listening. Um, okay. Those were all the listener questions. And I know we have now reached our time and I know that you are a busy woman, yet somehow you are always accessible, which I will never understand. And I say that to you all the time. I'm convinced you don't sleep, but thank you so much for coming on here. This was so oh, wonderful. It was my pleasure, Cameron. I tell you, it's fun. It was fun. Well, it was so fun for me. I know my community will appreciate it. I will put all of your practice information in the show notes for anyone local oh to goodness. New York. 
Of course. Are you kidding? We got to promote you. Oh my God. Um, and I'll put all the information in for New York Presbyterian. If you want to try and find an OBGYN within the network, as you guys know, I have been a New York Presbyterian patient from my birth out of my mother's vagina all the way until giving birth to Liam. So I am a true lifelong patient up in here. Um, thank you for joining us. And I hope you have a great rest of your day. Thank you, everybody. Thank you guys so much for listening to the show. I love doing this more than anything in the world. If you could be so kind as to rate and or review the show, share a screenshot on your Instagram story, whatever you feel like doing to show some love, I would really appreciate it. Obviously follow at Pod on Instagram and me at Freckled Foodie for more content. Thank you for being a part of the FF fam and I hope you have a wonderful day.